everyone out there listening to, we are listening to, you are listening to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I have not had enough coffee yet today and my allergies are killing me. They're, they're starting to, to uh, pipe up here in Northern Maine. But I'm talking with, uh, with Fred, Fred Gaggle. You Give me your official title because you, you're going through merger sure. acquisitions and all this stuff right now. Yes, I'm the uh, Vice President of Technology and also the Chief Security Officer here at BioPlus, especially pharmacy. We're based out of Florida. Okay, so at least you got some nice weather down there, I'm assuming, right now. Oh, yeah, it's, it's nice down here. Okay, so the one of the things that I like to talk about is, well, first of all, how is it being in technology nowadays? And do you feel like you chose the right career path? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely changed with the pandemic and uh, working remotely. That's probably been the biggest change for us because uh, we, being a pharmacy, we were almost all, you know, at our company's offices and various capacities. So at any time, we may only have like 30 people working remotely or has some outside sales folks on the road. So that totally shifted, uh, ended up being over close to 300 users that were working remote. So that was huge change for us. As far as technology, you know, I've, I've been around it, you know, all of my adulthood and even we had a you know previous conversation, even when I was probably got introduced to computers when I was like 10 years old. And, um, you know, I started learning some very basic programming that back in the day when you, you know, programming to draw like these little simplistic pictures and things like that. So I got into that. My brother got into it. My father got us all into it. So that became our hobby. And so I've always had a, a passion for technology. And Let me um, ask you a question. Just yeah. I've been dealing with this earlier today. And it was a, it was a telecom situation, believe it or not. Kind of similar to what we were talking about, top secret. But the they were migrating off an old PBX to the cloud. and everyone's working from home and COVID hit and we've got people using Google voice and all kinds of band-aid situations. And what I ended up doing was helping them. I'm helping them with a provider that's kind of gone South and I'm trying to differentiate. Is it really the provider's fault or is it the end users and their home networks? I think in this particular case, it actually is mostly the provider. Mm-hmm. in kind of their shady application. But how did you deal with 400 end-user home networks? I mean, what is the common problem? And let me ask you this. How do you deal with 400, 400 home users that don't even know if they have a firewall or not? All right. I mean, I, this, was a, this was a question I asked. I sent out like a little spreadsheet. Like, hey, can you answer these mm-hmm. five questions for me? Like, do you have a firewall? If you don't know, just put don't know. Mm-hmm. Can you make changes to your firewall? Do you know how to make changes to your firewall? Can you run this uh, latency and jitter test? Yes, I can run this latency and jitter test and give me your, all your complaints and how many people are on your net home network are using the internet, right? So you've got anywhere from four to eight people using a home network. You've got 60 to 70% of everyone in America that's working for a company that does not know if they have a firewall or not, let alone be able to make changes to it. How doth one deal with that? Well, it was challenging. Um, to be honest, we didn't even have a chance to provide a survey. We uh, sent everyone home <laughs> on a short notice, and uh, we actually, uh, you know, our, our remote terminal survey couldn't actually handle the capacity. So that was the first issue we, we ran into. Is we, you know, it just wasn't sized for that many users, and so we had to stand up a new 
uh, remote desktop server. And uh, ordinarily, something like that take a month or two once we test it and make sure everything's good. But we had to get that up and running in, in less than two weeks. Uh, like finding on COVID. It. It's kind of like finding a COVID right. vaccine in uh, one year. <laughs> exactly. We're working <laughs> on it days, nights, and weekends to get that that server up. So that was our first challenge. And then, like you alluded to, all the uh, user issues at home. We didn't have to deal with all of those when, you know, before this. Uh, so you're right. The, you know, people had, uh, you know, children at home attending virtual school is taking up bandwidth. There's, you know, movie streaming and game playing and, mm-hmm. you know, all these other things. So we uh, have a lot of employees that, you know, they just didn't, they had like the bare minimum internet connection and, and we had mm-hmm. to do a lot of testing and, um, you know, so that that was it was for sure a challenge. It it really uh, bumped up our our time, our resolution time for our tickets. It went through the roof. Oh. Um, so yeah, the the tr- this troubleshooting and support. Um, very common problem we ran into is obviously voice. You know, trying to do voice uh, over the internet, which is not a guarantee of service anyway. And then having these kinds of connections. Not only did we run into those with. Uh, poor internet connection, but then, you know, a lot of uh, employees didn't have uh, good Wi-Fi, uh, you know, type connectivity either. Maybe they had an upstairs, downstairs, and uh, we even had somebody connecting to our network with the, you remember the Hughes satellite connections? Oh, that's great. We didn't know about it at first, but, uh, you know, over 600 millisecond delays. So. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's, you know, this has to go to space and come back, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, my dad still gets those cards. Like, he was in there and I'm like, is this faster? Is this a better deal? I'm like, it's a better deal. It's not good though. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we ran into all that. Wow. From, you know, so you have security in your title. Mm-hmm. How insecure? How insecure is <laughs> This is bad. <laughs> right. I don't want to make you like, you know. Uh, reveal yourself here, but how insecure right. is your is a bunch of end users not having? I mean, if they VPN, they got a VPN mm-hmm. in your firewall, right? right? right. But how insecure is it from a company's standpoint? Should companies be concerned that their end users don't have a firewall at home? They they definitely should. Um, we use uh, a VPN, like you mentioned, Bio Plus, and we also. Um, had the employees bring home laptops with our uh, software load on it. And so, you know, because you get into the home environment, not only, you know, may they not have a firewall, but they may not even have an antivirus software or anything on their personal computer. So, yeah, it does introduce a lot of, uh, you know, security uh, risk for sure when you go into the home office. Mm -hmm. And especially because we're a healthcare company, especially pharmacy, you're dealing with patient data, right? You have now employees accessing uh, PHI, which is protected health information. So that's another thing that we have to, uh, you know, be concerned about and put the proper uh, controls around it. So yeah, security, definitely for sure. Moving out of the office to someone's home, it, that that really was a challenge as well. I just, it's got to be in, uh, um, it, it has to be almost somewhat overwhelming. So what were some of the fixes you guys did for any, is there anything that like, you know, pops into your head always like fixes for home network other than just, you know, like yelling from your home office, get off the internet. Yeah. I mean, we did have to educate the employees for that. Um, you know, just let them know that, Hey, it is your, your internet is a shared resource. And in many cases it's a shared resource with your entire neighborhood, depending on what kind of, you know, internet they have. And, um, it's definitely so it was education. 
It's definitely yeah. a party line. Let's be honest. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and nobody really gets what they're paying for, right, either. So uh, we have to do a lot of speed tests and diagnostics to see what they're, you know, really we're getting at home. So that was kind of where we started with. Mm-hmm. Uh, education, like I mentioned. Um, soft phones, uh, a lot of folks were using cell phones, forwarding their work phone to their cell phone, and they had cell phone uh, cellular signal, signal issues in their house. That was another thing that we had to deal with. Um, we converted a lot that? of them. We, we, yeah, Engine we us? introduced soft phones. We we weren't a real big soft phone um, using company before that, and that pretty much the pandemic forced us to use a mat. That's that another thing I actually forgot about. We had to roll out soft phones, and I remember there was a shortage on headsets. You probably remember that too, Phil, when mm. just trying to find you know just a basic headset going into Walmart and the Target and all the local places. They were wiped out. <laughs> I, I was going into Target trying to buy up every headset I could to, you know, get for the employees, and <laughs> I couldn't find up. any. Yeah, <laughs> forget hand sanitizer. I need headsets. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, everybody was buying. Uh, yeah, looking for hand sanitizer. I was looking for headsets, USB headsets. So <laughs> toilet paper, I'm good. Headsets. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll trade you. Um, excellent. Uh, okay, so headsets. So, some people obviously were using what speakerphone on their computer, and that sounds great. So, speakerphone, yeah, audible problems. You know, all the conference, you know, mm-hmm. type things, and team, we use Teams heavily. Um, you know, like they said, the I guess the most common saying in 2020 was "you're on mute," right? Everybody's on conference phones, and uh, yeah, that that was a mix. The, the, some of them were using their phone, their cell phone. Some of them were using you know different ways to connect and. Yeah, that that was, uh, you know, I I think in the end, it it made us a stronger company for technology, remote workers, uh, because we did a we did a 180. And like I said, we we were not a big working remotely company before all this. So we're a different company now. If there's only a way to make executive management really kind of push IT into the forefront more other than COVID-19, you know, like that famous, like... Mm -hmm multiple choice question, like what drove your technology revolution? You know, like this A, B, C, you know, whatever it is, D is COVID-19 and everyone circles that. So what is it with that? Why does it have to be a, why does it have to be a disaster to get someone to notice something? Is it, what are we doing wrong? Are we not communicating enough? We're not speaking in money terms. We must be Mm -hmm. speaking in, must be speaking in more like insurance and risk, risk evaluation, which no one knows about. Um, You know, how can we talk, how has IT made anyone money? Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, yeah. IT's often looked at, you know, a cost, right? Like a utility cost. And, you know, we like to try to change that around and, you know, through different things like automation and saving money. And, you know, if we could do something uh, with our uh, system, like, for example, we did some things where we automated uh, what's called cash posting, which is we get these large payments from these insurance companies and that has to be done manually. And we, we automated a lot of those. Uh, so, they, so, yeah, I always, you know, try to have IT have a component of, of, of not just becoming a cost center, but actually ge- either saving costs or generating revenue. Give me some more examples. That's mm-hmm. a good example. So first of all, automation, sure. getting rid mm-hmm. of, um, I don't know, paper forms. Like, what, right. That's another big one. But So you yeah, actually automated cash posting. What else? What else could we do? 
Yeah, um, you, you kind of hit on another one. We we kind of went to paperless office. Um, we tried to, you know, believe it or not, faxes are alive and well in, in, in pharmacy, right? When you go to the doctor, they uh, more than likely will send in the fax. And um, so we've uh, digitized all that, and, and that comes into us electronically through an e-fax system that we used. So that's one way we've, uh, you know, moved away from receiving all this uh, uh you know, getting rid of all the paper. Yeah. Um, some other ways we've um, helped with patient engagement. We uh, introduced some online bill payments for some of our patients so they could, you know, pay online. That's something we didn't offer before. Um, we also have a patient outreach called our, we call it the patient journey, uh, where in the past it would take, uh, you know, a, a lot of people to reach out to patients. And what happens when you call a patient, you know, you usually get their voicemail or they're at work or something like that. So um, about seven years ago, we introduced uh, IVR. So we rolled that out. Uh, so that's basically calling the patient and then they could do a press off and then it, it puts them right in queue. Uh, if we're able to get a hold of uh, a patient, uh, you know, instead of us having to do all these, you know, playing voicemail tags and things. So that's another big thing we did. Years later, we switched to, uh, we still use IVR calls, but we also use uh, text messaging and also emails and video, believe it or not. So a lot of the pharmacy consultations, you know, you're on this specialty pharmacy drug, you know, this is the first time you've been on this drug, you don't know a lot about it, there could be bad side effects. So we actually have, uh, when the patients log into our web portal for their patient, uh, we have a patient portal, they could log in, they could watch videos, educational videos that explains in in basic terms what this medication does, you know, what are the side effects and those kinds of things. So yeah, we've, we've tried to go more toward that Amazon experience. Um, we, we have something also called the two-click refill where, where patients can just in two clicks request a refill instead of going through a whole bunch of other things and sitting, you know, queue in a call center for a long time. So we introduced that a couple of years ago. We really start to see an uptick in that. So, yeah, a lot of people don't want to, uh, you know, speak to anyone and over the phone anymore. You know, like, like I, I think if I don't even want to type my information in. I don't even want to, I don't even want to, you need to go to this form. You need to type in all your information over again. You need to put your credit card in, you need to do all this stuff or any of the telehealth stuff. I mean, the two-click right. refill, that's right. like genius. I just need to click on something. Right. Yeah, just click on things. We have your, your credit card information stored already. So, yeah, it's just, and, and, you know, and some people like that, you know, interaction over the phone, and we're still available for that, obviously. But those who don't want, you know, who want minimal contact or no contact, you know, we tried to cater to that to them, and it's been, it's been real successful so far. Did you ever think back in uh, 1986, see what was going on back in 1986, bag phones in the car that you mm-hmm. had to like have uh, like an installer actually install? Who knows? I can't even remember how much you paid per minute to make a phone call from the car, but the cell phone did mm-hmm. not exist yet. Right. Exactly. I try to tell my kids that. Like, you do realize mm-hmm. like the, the internet didn't right. exist. Like it did not exist except through like... Right a movie called like weird science where like, you know, you'd have guys like with like a weird coupler, like phone, mm-hmm. you know, like crazy like stuff, you know, you're just like, no, this is so nerdy. Did you ever think that you'd be able to make money in this field? And this would be a real, like at what point in your life did you say, Oh wow, I can, this is actually going to be like a career. Yeah. Early on, I didn't really think about it. I was just having fun, you know, and uh, computer games, of course. And I tried my hand at programming, um, 
some basic things. I'd get those magazines and try to copy some of the things so I could reproduce some of the, the yeah. different little games and graphics that they'd produce. I was just having fun at that point. But um, fast forward a little bit um, to a high school. Um, I actually uh, needed a job full time. You know, I, I went to my parents and said, hey, can I have a car? They said, yes, you can. I was like, great. When do I get it? And like, well, when you start working and you save up for a car, that's when you get it. So, so needless to say, I had to find a job. And yeah. luckily, uh, I found a job at a computer store. Um, so when I was a junior in high school, started working for a local computer store. And that really got me in, uh, you know, thinking, wow, there could be something more to this, right? There could be a potential career. What were you this. doing? Got me. Can you remember like the first yeah. day or like what you guys were doing back then? Were you like mm-hmm. fixing motherboards or like, or were you? Oh were yeah. You yeah. This would have been in 91. Um, so 91, uh, a lot of the computers back then you had to kind of come in, you order, you customize whatever you wanted and you, you, you got like three different options, right? It wasn't a whole lot to choose from. And so, yeah, we would custom build computers. And of course, uh, over time, as I ended up working there for close to two years, I would, uh, you know, do some basic repair and swapping out components of computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sold software there, um, you know, as a small computer store. Thing. But this crazy yeah. thing, it's called a CD-ROM drive. That's right. It's yeah, a thousand had, bucks. Do you want it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had the, the floppy disk back then, uh, you know, the three and a half, the five and a quarter. That's what we, we sold software on in the box. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was my first introduction of actually getting paid to do something that I liked. So, hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I remember I was jealous of the kid that actually one day had a CD, like CDR or whatever, W. I don't know. He was able to actually right. burn CDs. You know, I could just read right. them. I could just read them. <laughs> yeah, they were super expensive. Yeah, I remember that. So then, so then what, do, uh, what does one go to college for then? Well, um, funny enough, I actually went to college and I didn't know, like most college students, I didn't know what I was going to get into. I was kind of thinking healthcare and taking some classes, actually for funny enough, uh, some pharmacy classes. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, working especially pharmacy now, but I was actually taking some of the classes to be a pharmacist. And, um, you know, I st- again, I got to college, money was a need, um, you know, I needed, you know, money, gas money, rent money, all that stuff. So I started doing consulting and I did technical consulting. Basically, some of the skills I learned in, on my own and in a computer store, I went out and helped you know small companies that didn't have their own IT person or company. And I just did miscellaneous things for them. And then things kind of shifted. You know, I, I started to say, well, you know, why am I getting into pharmacy when I have a passion for technology? Yeah. So why not, why not do what I have a passion for? So I actually changed majors. Um, all those uh, uh, organic chemistry and physics classes, they just counted as electives. Yeah, you deep and, breath. I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, I don't have to do that. And um, changed majors. I got into decision information science, which at the time, this was at the University of Florida, that was really the closest thing that they had for, uh, unless you wanted to get into, you know, programming or something specific, but but as far as a general course study and, and degree, uh, decision information is also known as MIS, Management Information uh, Science. Um, so I did that, graduated there, and then worked 
came out of college and worked for the local county property appraiser. And I did, uh, there was only two people in the IT department, me and a, a Fox Pro database guy, and I did everything else but database. So that gave me a lot of experience right out of uh, college. So I was very appreciative of that because it really had me getting into everything. Yeah, yeah. Do you think um, someone can actually go to school for technology now? Obviously, you have to maybe get the basics and, and understand mm-hmm. things, but is most of it hands-on? Do most people learn things hands-on as far as from like a networking perspective and managing end users and all that type of stuff? I mean, like if you were to, if you were to actually go to school and say, I want to do what you do now, would you actually go to school for it? You know, it, it, school is always, I, I think college is still always behind uh, what the real world is as far as, especially when it comes to technology and security. But, you know, I have been seeing a lot of more um, specific classes, for example, networking. Like that wasn't a thing when I was in college. It wasn't even an, a concept. But now <laughs> there's some community colleges that offer, you know, Cisco networking classes, which is great because if I was a college student now and uh, knowing what I know now, I'd probably you know, definitely sign up for those more specific knowledge courses like that because the, the, the management information science, um, you know, it basically gave you a broad uh, view in technology, right? It, it gave you some electives that you took and you took some computer programming and you took, you know, but then you took all the other basic things like statistics and finance and there was a business component to that. So, mm. yeah, so I, I had to, for me personally, I had to, I had to do a lot of uh, on-the-job learning and in my personal time, uh, you know, worked on things in my house and technologies and just, I, I just did that as a hobby, as a pastime, just to, you know, get involved in it. That was before uh, I had children. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I really did a lot of that, a lot of self, a lot of reading, a lot of, uh, you know, creating my own, you know, little labs at home and things like that, you know, back in the day. Well, the, the business thing must have helped, but you bring up a good mm-hmm. piece too, which is is children. Because my son, who's fourteen now, is asking me like, "Dad, I want I want to do what you do, or how do I make money? Mm-hmm. Or how do I do this? How do I do that?" You know, mm-hmm. and it's actually a good question. Like, if if you were to go to your kids, or one of your kids came to you right now and said, "Dad, I want to do what you do, and I want to bypass all," and I kind I kind of say to him like, "Look, a lot of this is." comes with time. Like you got to like put in the, you got to put in the hours, you got to do your time. You know what I mean? You got to get that hands-on experience. But I do want my children to avoid all of the pitfalls and pain and suffering that I had to go through. So if you were to suggest to any youth, specifically a 14 year old, um, what would you, what would you think would be the most valuable thing for them to study maybe outside of the normal curriculum of school? Like where could they get the most valuable information? Sure. Um, you know, I actually went through that with my, my daughter. She's now, she just turned 21 and she did a similar thing. She's like, Hey dad, I want to do what what you do. And, and, you know, I was, uh, you know, kind of surprised about my, that. You know? you're, you're, first you're like, oh, yes, yeah. you're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she actually went to, we, we changed her out of uh, his middle school at the time. And uh, there was a, a technology focused uh, school and it was more geared toward technology, which is really cool. Because again, you know, when I was going to school, you, everybody took the same classes, you know, high school, middle school, you know, you didn't yeah. really get a focus on anything. Now there's some, there's some schools out there that are a little bit more progressive. And uh, so she actually got into that. And then, but then she also found, well, maybe I don't want to get into that because they, they had her taking like an HTML class and it was all 
you know, HTML coding by hand, you know, and things like that. And she's like, well, I don't know. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Website building and things. She's like, I don't know if I like this so much now. So it's kind of boring. I think it's, yeah, (laughs) it's kind of boring. You know, I I think some, you have to really find the passion for what you want to do. And the earlier you could do that, the better. Like I said, I changed degrees in college and probably set me back a year from graduating. But, you know, I think that a lot of uh, students go through that. So my advice is just really, you know, try to find a passion of, of, of what your passion is and not just because, you know, your, your family member does this and likes it and all that, you know, just because it's their passion don't mean your passion. So I never would, my, my advice is just, you know, I'd I'd never want anybody to be forced into something. Don't, don't get a career or go into a college degree program unless you really like that. Don't go into it for the money. Don't go into it you know, because yeah. you're pressured or somebody else is in yeah, your life will be miserable otherwise. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I did the same thing you did. I was pre-med. Mm-hmm. I was pre-med. Mm-hmm. I was taking uh, chemistry, biology, right? Yep. And I was a five-year college student. Did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Changed yep. five day. years. Yep. That's what I did. I probably, probably threw away a year of credits. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and I did creative writing and look where I'm at now. Right. Yep. Yeah, so I'm writing creatively <laughs> technology <laughs> emails. Yeah, and for me, I, w- I went to school to, uh, you know, for pre-pharmacy, and now I work for a pharmacy, and but in technology, so it's it's funny how things work out. So yeah, yeah, uh, perfect. So let's just go through. Let's get a just brainstorm real quick. What are the areas of like technology that kids could maybe you know research? So you got web design, you've got uh, programming slash data. I mean, we've got networking. What else do we have? You know, that's a lot of it. The hardware, you know, the landscape is really rapidly changing. You know, like Phil, you and I talked about cloud services and how things are shifting and our company's looking at moving a lot of our servers offsite. You know, I remember, you know, it wasn't all that long ago where you had, uh, you know, storage administrators, right? SAN administrators. That's really yeah. not even hardly a thing anymore. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it changes so much. It So, you know, if I were giving advice to someone, I would basically say, you know, kind of look at what the future landscape is. And then if you're, if you have a passion about it and then kind of go toward what you know will always be there, you know, don't, don't study to be a sand administrator, you know, you have to kind of, you know, not predict the future, but I think there's a lot of things that, you know, will still be out there. Right. So technology will always be there. Uh, mobile is big, obviously. Uh, I know a lot of people they're getting into like mobile application development, and uh, know some people that are into gaming. Uh, Central Florida has a lot of like artificial intelligence, and there's some military contracts. If you University of Central Florida that they worked out, so there's all kinds of you know uh, those kinds of things. I think definitely it's going to be on the software side. Is a, uh, I think will always be there. So those innovative, if you could do anything on the software side, it's hard to say what's going to happen on the infrastructure side, right? The physical, you know, the hardware, the servers, and the physical network and switches and all those kinds of things. But software, I think, will will always be there. Yeah, sat- satellite might actually be fast someday. <laughs> That's right. Could be. Maybe maybe yeah. Elon Musk and uh, the SpaceX he could turn to you know making satellite a, a Man, I've got at least one option. provider now. <laughs> I've got at least one provider that's offering 100 megs down. Yeah, and, and four megs up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, so maybe, by four. <laughs> yeah, it'll get there. I think eventually. Yeah. Well, excellent. Uh, been uh, been a pleasure talking with you. Any um, any wise words? Massive piece of advice. If I asked you, like, mm-hmm. actually, maybe we should ask it this way. 
Over the last year during COVID-19, what is the dumbest thing you've seen? Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, trying to think. Um, there's a lot of lessons learned for sure. Let's do it that um, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really think that uh, phone, you know, being connected in ways that since everybody's not in the office, everything is virtual and still to that degree, even now, um, you know, I think phone and, um, you know, just really the conference call, um, getting used to the conference calls, right. And being, uh, on those biggest lesson learned, if you're at home, you know, make sure you have a really good Ethernet. I mean, a, a a really good Wi-Fi connection and a really good internet connection. Well, what is um, a really good Wi-Fi connection? I mean, to you and I, we might know that, but to like a, a common, you know, end user, like for me, I have like mm-hmm. Phil Howard Telecom. My kids get on there, like, what's this Phil Howard Telecom? What's the password to that? I was like, you will never know that. I will never <laughs> give you the password. I will never give you the password to that right. Wi-Fi to that. Right. You, know, you know what I mean? Uh, sure. um, Dad, come on. I need, you know. So, anyways, no, that's not going to happen. But, like, what is a good Wi Fi? Are you talking signal strength? Are you talking. Signal strength's one of it. Yeah, that's a part of it. And, you know, a less known to your non technical person is actually conflicts, right? Because there's uh, people don't realize there's channels within, you know, Wi Fi. And there's a lot of competition, you know, the Internet of Things. There's, I mean, look at all of your, uh, at my home. I mean, my garage door's connected to the Internet, my thermostats are connected. You, You have a lot of people. Uh, connect everything to the internet and what they don't realize is is all those things could cause a conflict you could have a good signal strength but then there could be something causing a conflict so my biggest piece of advice is there's software i mean there's uh you know channel scanners and different wi-fi type devices some of them for free you can just google it and you could determine if there's any kind of conflicts and you may have to move things around if that's getting a little bit too technical then no, you we know need someone know. what do we want yeah <laughs> we, we need to teach we need to bring up here's another thing there should mm-hmm. be a class in college on how to be a good googler mm-hmm. so um, sure. what should they google so so we've got a, we've got a, a, mm-hmm. I don't know three dozen people in a company and they all have crazy the, the IT guy needs some help he's only one guy he's drowning and he's got all these end users with horrible home networks maybe their Wi-Fi what do we tell them to Google? Um, probably something like uh, wireless uh, wireless access point um, uh, conflict software or I'm trying to think there's a software. Um, I don't have it in front of me right now as I use several of them. I forgot which one I settled on, but basically just I'm pulling up Google wireless, okay. wireless access point scanner, conflict scanner. Scanner, Yep. Scanner could work. Cause that basically scan your networks and, and believe it or not, you know, for the listeners there, you could even be picking up conflicts from your neighbor. You know, they could have devices on their network. That's, uh, overpowering, you know, when you look in the frequencies and signals and things, there could be devices even, so it's not only your house you have to worry about, but it's your neighbor, especially if you live in an apartment, mm-hmm. there could be a lot of different things out there that you don't, you can't see this stuff until you scan it and you look through it. And, and basically, uh, the software, when you load it, um, it will let you know uh, a good software. I settled on a, a, a good software. I forgot the name of it. I have to give it to you later, Phil. But it basically let me know what conflicts there were. Yep. And it assisted me and, and allowed me and my personal 
network to kind of move things around so there weren't any conflicts anymore. And and also there's different, you know, there's different wireless, you know, standards too. So you've got the, you know, the 2.4 and you've got some different things that, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition for some of these older Wi-Fi uh, wireless technologies that you have to take an account for. But if you use the newer standards, it's better. But again, those conflicts uh, can be resolved pretty easily. And my advice is if you, if you don't feel comfortable with it, uh, talk to someone like Phil or me. You probably have somebody in your family to, that knows a lot about IT that are IT nerds. <laughs> uh, you probably have at least one in everybody's family. and Get, get a hold guy, of them. Don't call that guy because he hates <laughs> <me>. <laughs> Well, I'm that guy for my family. And I get yeah, me too. Like, a lot of hey, By the way, should I talk with Mark um, from Microsoft? <laughs> he says there's a problem with my computer. It's only going to cost me $600 to fix. No, okay. do not talk. Mark from Microsoft is not from Microsoft. Do not talk to him. I have to have to say this again. Do not talk right. to him. But he says this is a problem. My computer. Ignore the call. Right. So a lot uh, of scams. That's maybe for a future podcast. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, phishing oh, scams and social engineering scams. That'd be a great future topic. But a lot right. of those we had to deal with. You know, with a remote from home, you ask, you ask about challenges, Phil, and and uh, we've been inundated with uh, you know not just from domestic but from all over the world trying to, you know, fool our workers and things like that. And, uh, uh, you know, they're impersonating as, you know, our employees or our CEO and things like that. That's, yeah, that's, that's another point. challenge we had to deal with for the 2020. And mm. uh, it, it's continued, really. I mean, it's, we went from having, a, you know, I mean, we've always seen that, right? But it, it, it's just been multiplied by many times. We're probably 10x of dealing with that from, Compared to say 2019 and earlier, yeah, it's unfortunately it's unfortunately scary how easy it is to just call in and give someone else's name. Oh yeah, and pretend to be somebody else or pretend to be a company Especially and hand your password. Yeah, yeah. Like, like hey, I'm so and so IT director or whatever. I don't right. have my. I need my IP address range, please. Right. Sure, no problem. Here you go. Yeah, right, exactly. Yep. Oh, could you email it to my personal email address? <laughs> yeah. It happens. Uh, as far as the conflicts, it's interesting when I when I mm-hmm. googled the wireless access scanner conflict. Avoid placing Bluetooth gadgets near my microwaves or fluorescent lights. But what if my microwave is a Bluetooth device in itself? <laughs> it's scary when I'm in another state and I get the notification on my cell phone that your oven is at temperature. Your oven is at 350 degrees, so I know my kids are cooking something. I'm like, why is the oven on? What are you doing with the oven? <laughs> you know, and that also means that someone else could hack into the network somehow and turn my oven on or open mm-hmm. your garage door. That's right. That's right. So, uh, been a pleasure. Thank you so much for. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Phil. It was a great uh, talk today. I really appreciated it. And uh, everyone have a, a great day. Thank you. <laughs>